Welcome to the Elephant's Trail podcast. My name's Alexa and I'm a member of the Elephant's Trail project in Bury, Greater Manchester. Today I'm joined by Matt Kidd, the project lead, also the founder of Creative Inclusion and a member of our agency, and Katie Rubins, who uses the tools learned from her experiences with the theatre of the oppressed to engage people like you and me in a form of creative activism called legislative theatre. Its aim is to support those with the least power to have a voice and to make changes in the systems that affect their lives by directly addressing issues with legislators, policy and decision makers, and also asking them to commit to being accountable for addressing the issues in the system that need to be changed. In the first episode, we introduce legislative theatre, what it is and how it works. In the second episode, we talk about the issues legislative theatre has been used to address. In episode three, we ask how accessible is legislative theatre and what are some of the challenges and barriers that arise during the process. And in the final episode, we discuss next steps and how people can get involved. We hope you enjoy the podcast. the Elephant's Trail and I've met today with Katie Rubin and Matthew Kidd and we're going to be having a conversation about legislative theatre. So I was just wondering if you could both introduce yourselves. So we'll start with Katie. Could you tell us who you are and where you're from? <laughs> sure. You? Hi Alexa, I'm happy to chat today. Uh, as you said, my name is um, Katie Rubin uh, and I'm originally from New York City. Uh, but living in Manchester for the past year and uh, for the next year at least, and and maybe I'll never leave. Um, (laughs) uh, But um, I, uh, in New York City, I used to um, lead an organization called Theater of the Oppressed NYC, uh, which does a kind of work called Theater of the Oppressed, which actually happens all over the world. Um, And uh, specifically there, um, we focused in the last several years on uh, legislative theater or on ways to um, shift policies and rules, um, as well as community activism and kind of uh, community actions. Um, And now I'm here Uh, working with various folks in Greater Manchester to try to see how those tools can be useful here um, and and really support that push towards creative and participatory and accessible uh, decision-making. Wow, that sounds really impressive. Very interesting. We'll get more into that in a little bit. Matt, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, so my name is Matt Kidd, uh, and I've got various different roles. Uh, I guess the ones that are most relevant to legislative theatre are that um, I'm the, uh, what we call the co-production lead for, for Housing First. So what that means is that uh, I'm responsible for making sure that people with with lived experience of the issues that 
people face who are accessing the housing first service such as homelessness uh, uh, mental health difficulties being a victim of domestic violence that they um, they have some decision making power um, so one of the ways in which we do is that um, you know we we um, we do the first stage of the recruitment for housing first staff and only people that um, people with lived experience feel have got the right values and approach get through to a, a more technical like interview about you know um stuff that the job entails um we share decisions about what training those staff need to have and um what we're starting to do is is share decisions about what needs to change on the program through legislative data which i'm sure we'll we'll go on to talk more about shortly um another role that i've got is as one of the directors of um a new organization called our agency and we've been using legislative theatre to to try and co-design really uh, um, what what that whole organization should look like um, what should the power dynamics be between the people that, that founded the organization and people that um, we're looking at a cooperative model at the moment. So we'd, we'd call like everyone from founder to anyone else, we'd call them a member. Um, so yeah, we're using legislative theatre to, to explore what those relationships between members, between members and founders and the fund of Ann Kelly Chase, um, what they should all look like. Sounds amazing. So Legislative theatre then, it sounds like it's it's a way of engaging people in in kind of sharing and expressing their experiences, their stories, and having more of a say in um, how things happen, in um, influencing services. You mentioned it can influence legislators, policy makers, and some of the work that you seem to be doing is around influencing organisations and how they're kind of structured. So I was just wondering, um, if you could give us a little bit of an insight into what the what the process is for the legislative theatre and how you actually um how do you do it how do you go about getting from um people who want to say something to something changing absolutely yeah, so I'll, I'll start by saying, as I mentioned before, that legislative theater um, grew out of uh, a, a kind of larger set of tools called Theater of the Oppressed. Um, and Theater of the Oppressed is based on um, a, a way of, uh, well, a, a way of engaging in, in, in radical social change. Um, and participatory education and 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 radical structural change um, that that kind of tries to flip uh, a few things upside down, um, starting with the idea that um, the 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 standard model. I'll I'll go back a little bit in, in history for a minute, but the the standard model uh, of teaching, let's say, um, which you could say the standard model of teaching and the standard model of rulemaking are almost the same thing here, or kind of who gets to be in power. The standard model of teaching is that somebody knows everything and somebody else is a student and they know nothing. And the teacher tells them what's true. And then the student has to repeat back what the teacher said and in order to move ahead. And if you say that what the teacher said is true is true, 
yeah. then you succeed in your life. Yeah. More, a little bit more. And if you say that what the teacher said is true might not be true, then you fail. Yeah. So there's, so there's one person who has the power to say what's true and everyone else who's just supposed to accept that. And, um, uh, this, this guy who came before the theater of the oppressed named Paulo Freire, um, he said, you know, if we learn in school like that, we actually learn to accept situations of oppression in that way from anybody, from bosses, from politicians, from, right? They say what's true and we have been taught, we have been programmed um, through, not because we're pushovers, but because that was the only way to survive, yeah. right? In school or wherever, or in our work. The only way to survive is to say that whatever they know is true. So what we're trying to do here is say, first of all, we need to change um, who is posing the problem. Like we need to change the whole way of doing it and not say what is true, but start by posing a question that everybody needs to engage with together. So there's not, it's not like we just flip it. So if I didn't have any power, I'm the student. Now I tell you what's true. No, because what's true for me might not be true for you. It's got to be starting with posing a question. Right. So and in the, the yeah. To find what the question is. That's right. And in the theater of the oppressed, the idea is that the people who are experiencing oppression, which I would say is all of us in different ways. We are all impacted by a social structure. And that's part of the purpose is to understand how, how we experience privilege and experience oppression and be able to become comfortable with the word oppression, understand that there's a social structure. It's not random and it's not about individual choices. It's about social uh, structures and to flip around who gets to ask that question. So that's how legislative theater starts is that people who are experiencing any kind of problem in a system and a system is in any institution, any building that you go to, any place, every, everything we do is with systems. Um, we go to the grocery store and that's a food system, right? So anyone who's experiencing a problem poses the question. And the way they pose the question here in legislative theater is through a play. Okay. And that play can be something that you make in 10 minutes. It can be something that you make over several weeks. In the way we're doing it, it's something that you make over weeks. And that's also because part of the process is about our own ability to understand and articulate the problems for ourselves and our own ability to become a community and organize because that brings us some power, right? We're not just an individual posing a problem, we're a collective posing a problem. So you'll often then, it'll be a group of people with a similar experience that you will bring together. And then is it about inviting them to just talk about their experiences? Yeah, so it's a group of people with a similar experience and, and either you know we'll bring them together, but ideally it's that those folks have already identified for themselves that they wanna change something. Right. And so they come together and we don't just talk about our experiences, we start to surface them through games and exercises and making images with our body and other ways of storytelling that are not just through words. And that's also important. Um, because um, for one thing, it's it's just kind of fun. And I think fun is key because if, if the work isn't fun, I think if the revolution isn't fun, no one's going to show up. <laughs> if, the, if the legislation isn't fun, no one's going to show up. Yeah. Or only the people who really, really, really get rewarded for that through money and power are going to show up. Um, so I think that making things fun is, is key. But it's not just about fun. It's also that words um well specifically when we're talking about decision making words are used to divide us so i might mean this by a word and i might mean this and we don't actually we're not talking about the same problem so when we start with images 
and ways of just seeing things that remind us of our common experience and our common humanity, we can kind of identify a problem more specifically. Yeah. Um, and we also use theater because we want the theater, we want people to feel the weight of the problem, not just think about it intellectually. And that's not just, we, it's not that we want people to feel sorry for anyone or anything about that. It's I want people to feel the problem because I want them to feel how they've experienced a similar problem. Because that means that they're also impacted by this problem, which means that they have a stake in trying to change it. Um, that's the key for the theater. And then I, I'll, I'll, I'll speed up a little bit. So we make the play about those problems. And then we bring together all different stakeholders who are working on the problem, impacted by the problem. I would say everyone's impacted by the problem in some way, even if they don't think they are. Um, and, uh, and we invite them to talk about what they see and then actually come up on stage and try to change things in the role of the people who are facing the problem. And, and that's important because we need to be creative about how we're trying to address problems that have otherwise been going on the same way forever and ever. <laughs> but also because we, as we said, we need people to act in solidarity. It's not gonna work if we start mimicking that same, like I'm gonna tell you what to do um, from a position of, of privilege and a, from a position of advice giving. So it has to be from a position of risk taking as someone who is also in some way impacted by that problem and can see themselves in relation to that problem even if they're a decision maker or someone else in power. And those ideas that people try, sometimes they, they, they put a light bulb in our head and go, oh, we should totally do that. Or they don't work out so well and they show us more about the boundaries and the rules around that problem. So we start to understand the depth of the problem more deeply from improvising and pushing it forward and forward and forward. Um, and those, that information that we discover through that improvisation leads us to say, okay, this is how we, all of us, would change the rules. Um, and it's also about making the idea of policy or rules more accessible. The policy that we need is just the gap between what the human being could do on stage and what they need to achieve their human rights or whatever it is that they need, that we all agree that they need. Um, and then those policy ideas um, can be turned into actions in all kinds of ways, depending on who's doing this, but essentially, the idea is to um, figure out what the audience and everyone there is prioritizing um, and then use that energy of creativity and inclusivity and sort of flipping the power dynamic to inspire a different kind of debate where we can really push back against decision makers and we can really question them and we can push them really hard to do what we said and we ask them to commit to doing those things. And I would say just to close this that, you know, as we said, like it's, as you said before, legislative theater is about giving people more power if they're directly impacted, but I think that's only the beginning of the question. I think the real goal is to actually change who is decision makers at all or how we make decisions. Um, so, so that's, not, that, yeah. Yeah, so it's not just about shifting um, a single person's experience. It's actually about getting into the system and changing the way that the system operates. Full stop. In that's a dream. That's yeah. A dream. <laughs> yeah, but a very ambitious one. And I was just wondering, Matt, um, in relation to um, these, I think Katie picked up there something around that, that sometimes it can present um, barriers and challenges. And I was just wondering how you feel that legislative theatre can support people 
um, share the stories in a way that isn't disempowering for them. So um, I'm, I'm glad you asked me that because I've been dying to come in with this uh, this uh, African African proverb. Um, I worked with a woman called Rose who coordinates an African Women's Network, and she told me this brilliant proverb that uh, we say that um, unless the lion can speak, we'll only ever hear the story of the hunter. So, so she went on to explain that, you know, so it's, I'm the big, brave, strong hunter that protects my village from the man-eating lion. Um, so, so we, do, we, we, we never then get to, to hear, well, the, the lion could have just, you know, kind of not had any intention of attacking anyone and could have just been sleeping and the hunters killed it in its sleep. But we only ever hear the hunter going back to the village and saying, um, you know, kind of, I, I'm this, this big, brave hunter that's that's protected you from this man-eating lion, and and I think that um, my my equivalent for that in homelessness is that you get to hear that um, people in positions like Andy Burnham and people like that um, are under, under a lot of pressure to t um, from business owners in the in the city centre that um, this talk of professional beggars and um, what they do to the what they do to the city and how they harm business by being on the doorsteps and in many ways they they're the equivalent of the lion they've not got a voice in all this so so people can um, can create this narrative of like oh well they've all really got somewhere to go. You know, uh, they've got no, you know, they've got no excuse for this. All they are is a professional beggar that's uh, exploiting you for your money. And I think that what legislative state does is, I guess, that uh, it gives it gives the lion a voice, but it doesn't, it, um, not in the traditional way um, that a lot of this work does where it just does some tick box consultation. So someone will, someone will go in and then say, all right, well, tell me, tell me what it's like to be homeless. But then there's no, there's no like, um, ongoing answerability for the, for, for whoever's making those policy decisions. There's no lasting relationship. Someone usually goes away and says like, oh, right. Yeah, that was really useful. Thank you for your time. Um, and they never hear again what what happens with this. And I guess that this is this is this isn't like an exploitative process because uh, for the people in that situation, they're you know supported a by other people in similar positions that are also getting their stories out. But they've got a different kind of relationship with those policymakers. It's not just you know. I'm here with the power to, to listen to you and decide whether I want to do anything about it or not. I think through legislative theatre, there's, there's like they're there in amongst equals that are deciding how we, how we respond to this together. So there's a whole, so the, so the whole process itself then is quite um, democratic. Is that the right word? Um, so it's not, so you're not actually going in going, right, everybody, we want you to do a play about this and this is how we want you to do it. From the very beginning, you're actually inviting the people wanting to take part to take ownership of it, to decide what happens, how it happens. 
and there's some level, um, even the bit at the end where you're trying to engage legislators, policymakers, you're actually re requiring some kind of accountability from those people to the people who've done the performances. Is that right? Have I got that right? Yeah, that's the goal. That's the goal. And, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's always interesting and, 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 you know, reveals what the dynamics are between policymakers and communities and whatever, or, you know, or decision makers in an, in an organization and the people who are impacted by that organization or members of that organization, because asking for the accountability in this process is still, there's still, and that goes back to what I was saying before, there's still the question, like, are they going to come through with that accountability, right? And until, so I think, I think of the accountability as yes, we're asking for them to, to come back and say what happened with the ideas and, and, and do the ideas, right? To, to implement the ideas. But also that's where I think the bigger goal is, it's a practice for us to start to identify how we can be the decision makers and start to figure out how we can push back on the decision makers and you know, vote them out or fire them or whatever if, we, if they are not accountable to that, right? So there's an, it's an ongoing process that has to feed into a larger process, I think, of organizing and of activism. Um, because as it is, as it stands, we're still working within a system. Um, and in the end of the day, those people who we invite as decision makers, they have that power. Um, so that's the, I think that's the bigger question that I grapple with is, you know, if they don't do what they said, then we have to, we have to stay engaged and we have to keep doing this over and over and we have to keep pushing back until we have figured out uh, that we can do it for ourselves or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I think, I mean, there's, um, on behalf of me and Emily, who's the lead for, for Housing First, we both, there's, there's something else other than policy change that we're interested in. The, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The ability of legislative theatre to change. So if we go back to that situation of um, people who, there might be signs in city centre saying, don't give to people, they only want your money for drinking drugs and stuff like that. And if you, if you're a, a member of the public um, in a job where you, you know that's not like our jobs, you don't you, you don't hear people's stories, you don't hear the realities of, of their lives. All you see is these posters. Then you, you know, it's it's that equivalent of the of the lion again. You you can just think this is the, you know, this is a scary person that's out to harm me. Um, and I think that in Finland, um, Housing First, what they managed to do quite successfully was was change some of those perceptions um, that, you know, kind of this, the, you know, these people are scary people to avoid, the people to welcome into our community and, you know, kind of, um, you know, kind of there's lots of traumatic experiences that have led to, you know, have, have led to their position and some of, you know, some of the, the behaviors that sometimes you first you first notice so you might think it like you know you might just see some you know until you're more informed you might just see someone getting agitated and shouting you don't see what's underneath the house uh, the iceberg there yeah. and you don't see why they've been, re been re-traumatized and you know kind of all things like that and yeah what they've what they've done quite successfully in in finland is 
is yeah work work with the community so they have that better understanding of um, of who people are and they're not just that you know uh, they're not just scary people that are trying to take the money off them they're people that have had deeply traumatic experiences um, and that if you treat people with respect and kindness and courtesy a lot of the time you know kind of um, yeah you'll you'll get the same imitator. Trail is a project that was set up in the Berry area in February of 2020. It's a group of 11 people that came together as community collaborators to use their lived experience of various disadvantages to support co-production, collaboration and systems change in their local area.